best piece of advice that I've ever seen anywhere is from this children's book artist, Dallas Clayton. And he says, make a list of things you love, make a list of things you do every day, compare and adjust accordingly. Hello, and welcome to Think Inspired, a weekly conversation about inspiration and its role in the creative process. My name's Drew and I'm your host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Inspo, a search engine for inspiration. Now, this is a curious and often misunderstood topic that my team and I have been obsessing about for the last year as we've been building our product. We've had literally hundreds of conversations with creative thinkers about the nature of inspiration and this podcast is our humble attempt to capture some of those discussions, share our learnings with the world and hopefully help you think inspired. My guest this week is Rosie Yakob, who is co-founder of the nomadic creative consultancy, Genius Steals. She and her partner Faris have been living nomadically without a home base since March 2013, traveling for clients and being inspired by the world in between engagements. She's collaborated with some truly iconic people and brands like Jay-Z, Oreo, Coca-Cola, Gibson Guitars, and her work has been recognized on stages such as Can Lions, Clio, and The Addies. Aside from being a self-proclaimed advertising enthusiast, Rosie has a soft spot for curiosity, good ideas, yoga, and red wine. It's so good to have her on the show. Rosie, welcome to Think Inspired. All right, lovely. Hey, Rosie, how are you? Great, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about inspiration today. Yeah, I am so excited to chat about this topic, specifically with you, especially considering all the cool stuff that you've been doing and all the stuff I've been seeing online as well. So um, why don't we just get straight into it, right? Um, first okay. rabbit hole, what does inspiration mean to you? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> you know, when I think of inspiration, I am married to a linguist, an academic, someone who has this like really strong desire for this intellectual background. And so I actually go to the origin of the word, which is like to inspire, to breathe into, right? And this was a real significant shift back in like the 14th century, 15th century, because originally it was only God, capital G, whatever that looks like to you, who could create. Creation was the power of just the gods. And then we started using this word inspire to talk about like non-divine acts of creation, acts of creation just for individuals. So, I mean, I can't help but have that little historical bent. And then I also think of it as like, the Lego blocks. We often say you can't invent without inventory. So I think of inspiration as all these Lego blocks, I'm going through life and collecting. And eventually those Lego blocks, like maybe have some sort of transforming power and either become something bigger or they like light on fire and become these sparks that just distract me for a second and then go up in smokes and continue on. Um, my, I'm the founder of a company called Genius Steals, and we say originality is a myth. Nothing can come from nothing. And so inspiration is like kind of those, is that tool that helps you figure out what to remix or why you might want to remix something in the first place. I feel that's possibly the broadest 
answer I've ever got to this question. I, I love it because I feel like normally um, people latch on to one of those different dimensions or aspects, right? Like I was speaking to um, a monk the other day and for him, it was all about the divine, right? And connecting to divine inspiration. And for him, it was absolutely nothing else and everything was simply an interplay or an exchange of that divine ins inspiration, a different manifestation of it. Um, and uh, where when you when you chat with people in the creative industry, um, it's not, you know, for a lot of people, it's not divine. It's almost like extremely mechanical, right? It's like mm. fuel oil that is just like uh, used every single day, fuel that is burnt. And it's a really clean fuel that burns, but it's fuel nonetheless. Um, well, so I'm so also, glad you just, yeah, go ahead. I think it's also kind of about novelty, right? And like the newness of stuff that we're seeking, it like sparks us to think in a different way. So maybe it's like rephrasing instead of it's like, instead of what inspiration it's like, or what is inspiration? Maybe it's what is inspiration for? Like, why do we need it? Right. Why do we use it? How does it help support us? So I guess it's kind of coming from different perspectives in that capacity. So, so why don't we just tug on that thread for a while? Um, I'd love to hear like how you actually go about collecting those Lego blocks. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about Genius Steals as well, because it feels like um, your life, it's it's almost like inspiration in motion. Uh, oh my um, gosh, I and, love that. Can yeah. I steal that? Can we Please. have that as our new tagline? Steal number one, do it. <laughs> I mean, it's in our company name, so you had to have that advanced warning. Um, <laughs> Yes. So Genius Seals is a nomadic creative consultancy. We, my partner, Ferris and I, we came from the agency world in New York and he actually worked in Sydney and London as well. And then in March of 2013, we decided to leave New York City and we thought we would be traveling for six months, but it turns out that maybe we're not so great at making decisions and, or maybe we just liked everywhere better than somewhere. And so we have been nomadic since March of 2013, which is coming on like because it's almost like around nine years or so now. Um, and it's pretty crazy because being a nomad during a pandemic looks a lot different than being a nomad pre-pandemic. And I will say, you know, when we think about inspiration, you're absolutely right that our life in some way is built around this novelty. I think as humans, we're pulled between two poles of novelty and familiarity. And usually you have one preference. And my preference is a strong lean towards that novelty and newness and travel feeds that for me. I get to experience new cultures, new people, new places, new ways of thinking, new food. All of those sorts of things have beliefs embedded in them, but all of those on their own are pieces of inspiration. They're those Lego blocks. And then during the pandemic, instead of traveling, um, you know, on a plane once every 10 days or so, we didn't take a flight for I mean, about a year. It was pretty, pretty crazy. We were still moving around in cars, but we were often going back to places we had been to rather than to these new places. And it became a lot more difficult to think about inspiration when you're in this routine environment. But at the same time, it gave me a lot more empathy for so many of our clients who do have very routinized work and have a routine. They go to work in the same way each day. Sometimes when we're in the pandemic, it means walking right. from one room to in front of your computer, right? And so you really have to be a lot more intentional when you have that um, 
I guess when you have that routine life or when you have that sort of systemic way of living, it becomes a little bit harder to incorporate uh, inspiration into it. I'm so glad you raised that, actually, because one of the questions I like to ask people um, in life and also on this podcast is like, how has your creative process changed post pandemic? Right. Um, yeah. And I, I'd love to ask you the same question, firstly, um, and also in the context of what you've just said. Right. Like um, I, I'd say on average, you and Faris definitely travel a lot more than the average person, but the average person still, like, let's say, goes to work, right, or goes on the occasional trip or has weekends. Um, yeah. And over the last like year or so, uh, weekends have basically meant from shifting from one room in your house to another room or just from one corner right. to another or not even that. Right. So, um, yeah, like, how do you how do you think about those things? So I think the biggest shift is that we have to be a little bit more intentional about seeking out these moments to find inspiration. I don't think that it's impossible though. I think there were a lot of things that were really helped out by the pandemic, the silver linings, if you will, in the sense that, you know, pre-pandemic, Ferris and I had a really hard time getting people to FaceTime with us or to Zoom with us. Well, we weren't yeah. really even Zooming, right? It was like Skype. We could do it for work, no problem. But our friends would never dream of just having a, a like happy hour social sort of Zoom. So I think that in some ways normalized getting to connect in this way, like you and I are from India and Portugal. And right. that gives us an opportunity to seek inspiration there. The other thing is because we had so much of a routine in our lives, it's much easier to disrupt the routine. When we have uh, this kind of chaotic life and it's hard to understand where life is going, it's like, how do I insert inspiration? But when you have a very routinized life, there are many ways to think about inspiration. So I think in terms of how things have changed for us, look for the genius steals methodology. When we talk about how to have ideas, it starts with defining the ideas, which is like, what is, you know, or defining the problem really, like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to think about? And then abstracting it a bit. So we think like, that's a bit like this. What is it? What else could it be a bit like? So that we can kind of make an association in our mind. And then we have inspiration and outspiration. So we have these like close references is what we call it for inspiration. And then outspiration is like much further references. And I think that has been, um, you know, the big point of difference. Whereas previously you could go to an art gallery or you could take teams outside to brainstorm. There was a lot of ways to insert inspiration in the process. When you're doing it over Zoom, it really is a different vibe, right? When you're trying to share inspiration with people in a working capacity, I think it's a lot more of a performance, right? We have to yeah. put on a different um, way of interacting with our computers, whether that's with ring lights or with microphones or with being a bit more animated and having our hands in the frame rather than just out of the frame the whole time. All yeah. of these things kind of change. And then once we get into, you know, after we've got inspiration and outspiration, continuing on our genius deals methodology, if you will, then we've got that recombination. So how do we recombine these little Lego blocks that exist? And again, that's harder in Zoom. We have this toolbox of ways that we can use inspiration, use outspiration, and use tools of recombination that become a bit harder because they kind of rely on group talk. And yes, you can do Zoom breakout rooms. Of course, we've done that. But it's hard to have that fluent, excited conversation back and forth, especially when you're recording. 
However, now we're getting back to another silver lining because after we recombine, we need a, a time of incubation. And I think this right. was something that we really lost pre-pandemic because of this desire for immediate gratification, living in the now, wanting everything to happen immediately. And sometimes we just need to sleep on it, right? We need to just let things simmer and see what still stays with us the next day or so. So incubation, that time has grown. That that time is no longer so difficult to find because we have more of it, I think. And then lastly is articulation, you know, writing, drawing, making that thing in your head. And that to me, you know, change, the change has been in waves. We shot a video with Dolly Parton during the pandemic, uh, early stages. This was like, you know, April, May of last year. So that was really tough because we we're trying to figure out how to do production almost entirely remotely. These <laughs> yeah. days, I think it's, you know, a little bit uh, easier to articulate sometimes those ideas. So, yeah, that's kind of how it shifted for me thinking about how we work. So, honestly, just as I'm listening to you talk and just your your energy, um, it almost feels like, all right, this this place person has like clever, uh, clearly never been uninspired. Right. It sounds like you're always like there's always ideas. There's always like raw material um, and life is just play at all times, which I'm sure is not the case. Right. Like I'm sure even when maybe not. on on the surface, like <laughs> you're in a good, different country every week, um, people may, you know, uh, fall into that trap of just assuming that you've got it all figured out, like creatively. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious, like. If that's not the case, yeah, um, let's nip that in the bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Sure. Um, <laughs> appreciate that vote of confidence, and I think you know that's something that more generally Americans send. Let's start that over. More generally, Americans tend to be good at portraying confidence, so maybe that's the skill that I have more than just the being unstuck. But yeah, I mean, last year we were in this town. Um, where my family has a house called Bersheba Springs, Tennessee. And this is like in the middle of nowhere. The population is tiny. The closest grocery store is about an hour drive. So in order to get groceries, you know, that's a two hour trip just to get to and from the grocery store, which means that if you're going to take two hours of your day, you're probably going to do a little bit of a longer term planning, which means you're also spending a longer time at the grocery store. So we spent, um, almost a third of our year in this really small town. And I did feel like it was incredibly challenging because we didn't have a social network. Um, you know, it wasn't like we could even go stand at the end of someone's driveways. This was just not a, um, a reality for us. And to make matters worse, the part in which we were living was um, really not so into the mask thing. Like masking became so politicized and this was kind of... Right more of a, a Trump supporting part of the, the state. And so it wasn't like we felt especially confident going out and about. Um, so yeah, I really struggled. It was really frustrating. It was something that was, you know, I kept thinking like, you know, conferences have like the different tracks. It's like the user experience track, the creativity track. I kept telling Ferris, you know, in this part of our life, we're on the domesticity track. And we very quickly realized that the domesticity track was not for us, but that didn't allow us to end that conference track any earlier than anyone else. We still had, yeah. you know, the same issues. So we had to think differently. I will tell you, you know, one thing that really helps me is going outside. So lots of right. walks outside and 
um, getting back in nature. Another thing that really helps me is yoga. I'm really into yoga. So I was doing yoga, but instead of just doing a recorded video, I actually was doing a Zoom live class with a studio in Greenville, South Carolina that I love. And so that was really a way for me to build in some community, getting to have some rogue conversations with maybe people who I didn't know so well because our yoga teacher would open the studio a few minutes in advance and leave the room, the Zoom room open a few minutes afterwards. So I'm talking to people who are different ages than me, who aren't into the same topics as me. So I think that really helped. Um, and then being willing to just name it and have some, um, you know, kindness towards yourself, just being able to say to your partner, to people in around you, like, I'm not feeling super inspired right now. Like, yeah. I wish I were, but I feel really blue. I feel really down. I feel really stressed out about the way that the pandemic is affecting our life, our business, et cetera. And knowing that that's okay too. Like, we're not going to be okay hundred percent of the time. We can't, have our creativity superpowers operating at 100%. So giving yourself that kindness and that, that compassion, I think is another um, you know, thing that you have to teach yourself. No matter what it is, whether it's with inspiration, the creative process or really anything, we have to be kind to ourselves. That's so beautiful. That's, that's such a lovely, uh, that's such a lovely thought. And I'm curious, something that's been uh, just firing in my mind as you've been chatting um, is is actually just about something like a little bit different, and that's technology, yeah. right? Mm. Um, so you mentioned this a few times, how like, um, on the one hand, it's wonderful that we're able to have conversations like this, right? And you're, a, a lot of your work, I imagine, is so fundamentally reliant on the ability like, to connect with people in different countries. Um, and it sounds like during this, uh, you know, lockdown of yours, you were really intentional about like, not just maybe, maybe not like just spending the whole day vegetating on social media, but actually, and not even just watching like yoga videos on YouTube, but actually being, you know, digitally present with a bunch of other people and doing yoga. Um, so I, I'm really curious to hear just a little bit more about like, what's your relationship with technology, uh, both personally, professionally, right. Yeah. And, and how, uh, yeah, just how do you feel about it? Because I feel, I personally feel it's such a complex thing. On the one end, I have a lot of, uh, I'm a big techno techno optimist and I really believe yeah. in the power of um, what all of us are doing. And that's why we're building Inspo, the tool that we're focusing so hard on. And, and yet I know that it's not healthy. We don't want to build something that like people are spending, you know, five, six hours a day addicted to, right? right? It feels like if you can get value from a few minutes, then you should really go for that walk or go for that yoga <laughs> class, right? Like you shouldn't right. just be um, on this treadmill. So yeah, I, I'm curious as to get your, your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's complex. And I feel like sometimes my opinions shift on different days. I feel different things. I will say more generally, it's one of the big shifts that's allowed for our life to be possible. So when right. you think about all the logistics required for this nomadic nature, you know, Typically, people pick a place to live either once in their life or once every year. It's not something that you typically have to pick on a rolling basis every week. It's like, I know we're here in this Airbnb for 10 more days. So the next 10 days, I got to pick where we're going to stay from the 20th to 29th. You know, we're constantly doing dealing with those logistics and things like Airbnb are really helpful because now we get to have a kitchen and cook for ourselves rather than just relying on hotel food. Um yep. 
or, you know, even Uber, for example, I mentioned to you before we started recording that Ferris and I usually spend a month in India each year. And there's yeah. so many local dialects and local languages. It's not like Spanish or Portuguese where we can kind of listen and, and uh, make our way through it. Sometimes we can't even read the language as it's written down, right? We don't know what the pronunciation would be or what those words are. So the fact that with Uber, I can request a ride to and from where I'm staying and where I want to be without necessarily having to speak the language is really helpful. To be able to use Google Translate and just have word lens on my phone, I can just hold it over a menu. And is the translation perfect? No. The other day it was telling me I was drinking like some sort of like chicken boy tea. And I'm like, I don't know what chicken boy tea is, but I'm pretty sure I'm just having a latte. Um, so, you know, like th those sort of funny things happen, but it's made, it's facilitated a lot of ease in our lives. Even things like ordering food, being able to know that we were in the Dominican Republic for two months earlier this year. And there's a local grocery store that has an online ordering system. And then WhatsApp, you WhatsApp with a personal shopper who picks your goods for you. So all of those things make life so much easier. And at the same time, I think about how, you know, social media has been built by a lot of scientists who have a lot more time to think about addictive personality um, or maybe like triggers to involve yeah. you for longer. We don't even have to go for the addiction route. Just, you know, their, their main number one goal is possibly at odds with what we want for ourselves, which is for me, I want to spend as little time behind my computer and on my phone as possible. That is like ultimately my relationship with my working world. I, I believe there are two types of people in the world. I think you either live to work or you work to live. I work to live. I love what I do, but I very much work in order to have money to afford things in my life that I want to do. So that means um, getting off my phone for a Friday and going doing an aerial silks yoga class. That means going to an art gallery and, you know, taking pictures of some of the cool art that I have, but not using it as a way to be on email from the art gallery or to be checking in constantly to see has this project update come through. Um, at the bottom of our emails, we actually include a signature that says like, hey, we're probably in a different time zone than you are. And who knows when this email is going to be arriving in your inbox. So please answer it whenever it works for you. Like when you feel good about it during your working hours, get back to us, no urgency. And by the way, rest and recovery from technology are crucial. So if you, if you need a break from it, we're not expecting immediate response. You know, um, the signature is much more, um, how do we say like, edited, the much more edited version, but that's sort of the sentiment that we want to share with our partners and providers. I think, you know, technology offers a mode of connection, but if you're not intentional about it, you can very quickly be sucked into a trap of doom scrolling yeah. without realizing it. So yeah, I think it, it is complicated. I, and as I said, like my opinions are shifting day to day, but that's kind of those are sort of the two poles and the juxtaposition that is balanced in my head. I love that. And I just love how both uh, your, your, your perspective is like, it's almost equal parts pragmatic as it is positive, right? It's not like positive that. for the sake of like, everything's going to be fine. Therefore we stop being critical. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet it's not pessimistic as most of like, the media is about this or that, like, even I use the word addiction and, you know, yeah. people, 
it, what, it's did just you say, what did you say earlier about your did you say future positive uh, optimist or a tech optimist or what did you you like, said something techno optimist i think is the term yeah. as in as in i'm i i just believe that like um generally speaking we're, we're heading in the right direction there's a lot of things that need work for sure yeah. um and I, I i honestly i share a lot of your perspective on this and i just feel like um it's not a pragmatic thing to be uh, very negative about things happening in the world yeah. Right. It also shortens like, our lifespan. It's like been proven. Optimism yeah. has been proven to help you live longer. Um, so yeah, I'm like totally aligned. Yeah, and and I think honestly that and and just in the case of like uh, in the context of outcomes as well, right? Like the future doesn't just. Um, <laughs> I guess yeah, you can either live your life assuming that the future is just going to happen to you, and at some point like it'll happen to you, and that's that, or you can live your life knowing that you ha you can have uh, you have a lot more agency than you realize right and you can have a small or large say in cultivating and shaping it and if you belong to that camp of people um why would you be pessimistic right yeah. like if there's something that you don't like right now if you feel like tools aren't moving in the right way or social media is being designed to addict um then you can build an alternative right you can join those teams you can you can um what I, what I, I've always been really, really inspired by people who found a way just to make a lot of these products work for them. Like my, mm. my partner is one of those people, actually, like uh, one of the first conversations I ever had with her. Um, and this at the time was not a perspective. I was maybe I was in my own sort of like filter bubble, but not many people were saying these sorts of things to me. Like um, this was a time when Instagram was getting just like loads and loads of bad press um, for every reason imaginable, right? From the underlying business model, to the culture of it, to doom scrolling. Um, and she said, you know what, like, ultimately it's, 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 it's actually, like you said, it's about being conscious and it's about consciously curating your, your diet. Cause it, it, you know, your, your feed is what you eat every day and you scroll through like a couple of hundred feet yeah. of that. Right. Um, so most people aren't very conscious about it. Like you, you know, when you join these platforms, you'll sign up to a bunch of accounts, you'll follow like a hundred accounts by default. Um, and you just keep following and following and following and following. And at some point it just becomes really, really unsustainable or difficult yeah. um, and bad for your mental health or whatever. So yeah. she said, yeah, she just said like every week I, I, I do almost like a social media, just check, right? Like, how am I feeling? Um, right. Just witnessing what? like myself. And I was like, that's such a lovely perspective. It's not, you know, like it doesn't need to be so zero to one that, wow, we need to abandon everything and go back to caves or we need new tools. It can just be like, let's just get better at using them. Right. Yeah. Um, which okay. So I, I have a couple of comments on that. Please, one please. is that um, one of the terms that Ferris always use is ameliorist. So ameliorist is a person who believes that the world can be made better through human effort. So right. I think like maybe like part of your optimism comes from you being ameliorist and like having that belief that the locus of control sits within whether rather than outside. So I'm introducing that to you. If it, if it, if you love it, now you can add it into your, um, you know, I do. sort of Thank you. belief about <laughs> yourself and the world. Um, but I also think, so like what that, you know, if we say we're optimistic about the future, it's like, let's say like we're, um, we're here and the future is like here, maybe it's the wrong way on zoom, but we are believing that over time things are going to get better. Or yep. if it's this way for you. We're believing that over time things are going to get better. I don't know which way it's going to be. 
Either way, though, what that disguises is that in order for the line to get from here to here, there still might be some really deep ups and downs, right? right? So it's like even acknowledging that things can get better and that generally speaking, maybe things are moving in the right direction. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, really dark places of the internet or things that we still can work on. So I think like having that acknowledgement that yes, things are getting better and we believe in this, you know, better version of the world because of technology still means that we can have this and that's a tied to it. And some of the ways that we use technology and that we allow companies to use technology right now are maybe not the best for the humans that live in this world. So, which addresses your other point. We are what we consume. You are the media yep. you eat, right? And so, my partner, Ferris, he's designed this thing called a media pyramid, and it was designed after the food pyramid, which is actually a triangle, not a pyramid. It's not 3D. It's just a triangle <laughs> base. And it used to be like, look, you know, all the stuff that you wanted to eat lots of was at the bottom, and the stuff that you didn't want to eat very much of, like the fats and sugars, are at the tip top. And so thinking about a media pyramid for your own life, what things are on the bottom that are always welcome in your life? So, for example, we know that we can look at psychological reported well-being studies and see how media affects people that way. It's all self-reported stuff at this point. But, like, we know that face-to-face -face conversation is really good for us. We know that opportunities to learn through podcasts, through TV, um, anything that we choose to interact with, like games, are really good with. So that means a platform like a Facebook, which has a bunch of different ways in which we can interact with it, if we're doom scrolling, that's probably at the tip top of the pyramid, right? Like none of that, very little of that or very minimal. If it's commenting on anti-vaxxers posts about why they're wrong and like, you know, trying to stand up for what you believe in, minimal amounts of that because that might not be actually so helpful. But if it's contributing to... Um, you know, your understanding of the world in a positive way, if there are arts, if there, if you're pursuing using Facebook to connect with a local improv group or a local knitting club, like all of these really we see um, reported well-being increase. And a lot of the reported well-being has to do with, no surprises here, length of time. So right. the length of time you spend on a platform, um, you know, your, your psychological reported well-being corresponds with that. And what's even more interesting is that that changes based on whether we're on a weekday or on a weekend. So you can look at some of the studies and it's like, if you're playing video games for four hours on a weekday, you kind of feel bad about yourself. Your psychological reported well-being drops after a couple of hours. But if it's on a weekend, it takes longer for it to drop because you've given yourself right. more time and space. Really, really interesting. Um, thank you for sharing those, actually. I'm definitely going to incorporate those into my thinking and maybe even to my like my my narrative as well i think that's 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 really lovely um love i'll give faris a shout out as well i think that's really really smart i love that yeah and um, i'll send you a link to the media media pyramid too because maybe yeah. we can pop that in the notes for people so Definitely. that if people want like a little bit more information because he's kind of approached it from two ways one has been from his own personal um life where he struggles with a twitter uh, a love for twitter who knows if it's an addiction, but a love for Twitter that like goes up and down. So he kind of made the pyramid as a guide for himself. Then he did another edition of the pyramid that's designed for media planners and people in the advertising and communications industry, because it's not enough to just think about what we are saying on behalf of brands. We have to think about the context. Where are we saying it? On which platforms? How are we making people feel? You know, we all know that um, just from our own human selves, the way in which we 
react to news at the end of a workday might be different than the way we react to news when we're sitting opening the Sunday paper and ready to lean back. So thinking about all those elements is really important for people in our industry on the side of advertising and communications. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So we'll we'll definitely add those in the notes. Um, I think it would be helpful to not just advertising people, but everyone, right? Anyone who's online and going on these sites, um, definitely ways that we can be more conscious about them. So that would be really helpful. Um, I wanted to go back to your uh, lovely metaphor of just Lego blocks, mm. right? And how those like Lego blocks connect and either go up in flames and smoke or sparks or whatever it is, right? You, you mm -hmm. choose what happens after. Um, but I, I found that oftentimes, you know, when inspiration strikes or whether, uh, you know, that metaphorical lightning bolt hits or you just gather the right pieces, um, they're like almost like cinematic crystallizing moments, right? That you can almost like never forget. Um, so I'm really curious if you've experienced that, um, and if you have any memorable incidents to share, I'd love to hear them. I appreciate there's a lot of your work that you do that must be under NDA and confidential, but if there's anything that you're, you know, top of mind that you think would be uh, inspiring, I think everyone, everyone who's listening to this would, would love to hear them. Yeah, sure. So I think that one thing I want to talk about that you kind of hit on is like these Eureka moments, right? And so often yeah. when they are, um, presented to us in the world of pop culture they come from maybe while we're in the shower or while why we're while we're in the bath and that is for a very scientific reason it's because of something in our brain called the default mode network so the default mode network is basically when and our brains are in an act of um what do they call it? Wakeful rest, I think is how it's right. described. And so typically that comes to life when you're like maybe daydreaming or you're cooking, wakeful rest. If you think about doing the dishes, it's like, okay, I'm awake, I'm doing the dishes, but I don't have to use a lot of cognitive power to think about right. how to do the dishes. It's kind of meditative. So my brain is just chugging along, thinking about this the, the default mode network is really cool because it's really good for lateral connection. So making, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. And the way that we have ideas when we're, our brains are under an MRI, the way that we have ideas is by two neurons that weren't firing together before have now made a new powerful connection. So that's right. what the brain, you know, neurological mapping looks like. And if we think of why this is, well, the default mode network is deactivated by goal-oriented tasks. And that's a lot of how we live our lives. Our society prizes the, the left brain way of thinking. We prize analytical um, individuals and things like accounting and business. And the, the gears on which the creativity are run is often powered by this sort of left brain thinking. But it doesn't help us when we need those new connections to be formed. So I feel like a lot of my, you know, moments of making those new connections come when I'm not trying to do it, which is one of those things that's so frustrating, but why we really need that incubation period, right? And so it's like going outside, taking a walk, uh, calling someone that I haven't thought of talking to in a while, and suddenly either something that they've said has sparked me to think differently about something, or just being open and thinking about something else rather than the goal-oriented task that I was previously focusing on can really help. Um, that said, one of my favorite pieces of inspiration came from 
one of my really early uh, jobs are, uh, in New York City. I worked for a company called Cake. This was a PR agency. And we were working on the Motorola phone. And they wanted us to host an influencer event for the Motorola phone. The problem was all the influencers were talking about the iPhone. They really didn't care about <laughs> this Motorola Moto Blur phone. And to make matters worse, Samsung had just done this big influencer event where they had the Black Eyed Peas come and play in Times Square. And when I did this sort of social analysis afterwards, everyone knew the Black Eyed Peas were playing in Times Square, but like less than 1% of people knew it had anything to do with Samsung. So I also was conscious of like, I don't want this to be an influencer event that has no impact. Like if yep. that's the case, what's the point in even doing this? But we were trying to think, you know, what could this influencer event be to actually get influencers talking about this product that we care about rather than just like, uh, I'm here for the free drinks and then I'm going to go home and live my iPhone life. And so <laughs> at the time I had uh, a friend, Patrick Moberg, who actually is the creator of the uh, app and phone game dots where you like make squares and connect oh, dots. Wow. It's really cool. Yeah. So he was working at Vimeo and College Humor at the time and had invited me to come to something called College Humor Live. And for College Humor Live, it was basically skits from the characters from the internet who were like doing this in a live format. And one of the things that they did was have this group called Freestyle Love Supreme perform. And I thought it was really cool because it was this improv sketch where they were doing a freestyle rap based on just words that the audience was throwing out. And so having seen that and then later sort of reflecting on um, this influencer event, I thought, you know, what do influencers really like? Well, it's not the iPhone, it's themselves. Like you have to love yeah. yourself to be an influencer because you're putting pictures of yourself out there all day. You're seeing yourself on a screen. Like that is my least favorite part of what I do is seeing myself on a screen or watching a video. But I think influencers love this. So having thought of that and then having made that connection about, you know, the Samsung stuff and seeing Freestyle Love Supreme, I thought, what if we got Freestyle Love Supreme to come and do a rap about these influencers? What if we pulled up the whole like selling point of the Moto Blur phone was that all of your social media accounts were going to be integrated into one sort of social hub. And so we were like, what if we pulled up social media feeds of these influencers from like this really cool swanky penthouse apartment in Soho. And then we had these guys do freestyle raps about them. And um, so it was really cool because it worked. Our influencers were actually very much into the idea that, you know, there were these people who were freestyle rapping about them and recording every second. We got to kind of slide in that push about the Moto Blur being about the social media components and one of the individuals in freestyle of supreme was lin-manuel miranda who wrote directed and starred in in the heights and hamilton and so this was pre-hamilton days i'm sure we couldn't afford him now but at that time it was like reaching out to this group and just saying like hey here's our budget could you do this and um being surprised by that that moment of yes so i think that that's probably my favorite story just because you know, so often I think inspiration is something that happens before we need it. Like if we are really in need of inspiration, it's like, you know, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago or today, but it's much harder to get that joy out of the tree today because when you plant, it's going to be teeny tiny. The one you plant 20 years ago is rooting and growing. So 
having this inherent curiosity that drives you and constantly being willing to, um, you know, look at the world around you and then reflect on what that means is really important. That's one of the reasons we have our newsletter, Strands of Genius, which comes out twice a week. And this newsletter has been going on forever and a day. And it's because it's a way of forcing ourselves to process what we see in the world, to not just be a headline reader and retweeter, right? We want to actually be able to understand why is this interesting? What's interesting about this? Where does this tie into consumers or culture, et cetera, et cetera? And so I think that um, that sort of ability comes from processing and comes from thinking about the things that surround you. A little bit of a long-winded answer, but hopefully you got kind of where I was going with that. No, a beautiful answer. I think we'll, we'll definitely uh, turn that answer into a nice snippet in and of itself, because I feel like that that's just a wonderful story. Um, and I love this, this uh, almost theme through that of uh, left versus white, uh, right brain, right? Like mm -hmm. the analytical and the creative. Um, and, and simply because like, I find that, you know, on the one hand, you're saying like, and I completely agree that inspiration is gathered long before it's actioned upon, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't necessarily take a lot of strategic thinking, right? That's just pure play, almost innocence, curiosity, right? If like, curiosity, I know that I for me, I love I get a lot of my inspiration from fiction, right? Not necessarily nonfiction. And I read for no reason other than this sheer joy of like living in those worlds for like a few hours or a few weeks, right? Um, and it's not necessarily logical, right? There's, I always feel like maybe I could be spending my time thinking about something else or doing something like quote unquote, that's a little bit more productive. I used to think like I don't anymore. Oh um, yeah, erase that but, thinking from your yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and, and yet, like when it comes to uh, the work, right, or the project, it takes a lot of like uh, strategic maneuvering, um, just as you did, like a lot of creative synthesis, but actually asking those what if questions, identifying like interesting associations and then combining them in completely newfound ways. Right. Um, so this isn't so much a question, but I'd be curious, like I, it feels like there is uh, more tension than harmony between left brain and right brain, at least in terms of like, creative conversations and conversations in the creative industry. One thing that we found with um, early folks using inspo, right? I think the initial hypothesis that it would be sort of pure play, purist creatives, right? Would love to use this product to help get them, to help get lots of inspiration for whatever it is that they were thinking about. And whilst that happened, there were also a lot of like strategic planners, right? Yeah. Who were using the product. And we were curious because these folks don't, did never, did not self-identify as creative, even though I believe like everyone's born creative, but anyways, um, they were like, no, 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 we're strategy people, but we have to write good briefs. Right. Yeah. And our creative teams are always like complaining that the briefs suck, right? Yeah. The briefs are limiting and the briefs should like unlock you, should augment you. So, right. um, we love the product because it gives us like inspirational, points and perspectives that help us like write a really inspired brief that then, you know, inspire creatives. Well, so right. it's just, that, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me because I mean, a couple of points. One is that um, Ad Age, I think did a survey and it's like 79% of brief writers think that they have boring briefs, something like that. Right. 79%, like that's an interesting crisis. But yeah. brief writing is a creative act. And if right. you think about it, 
it's really hard to go from something that's not creative at all to something that's super creative, award-winning it can. If you start with a brief that has a lot of corporate speak on it, that has this jargon that doesn't really make sense and that has a lot of this baggage about why we're making this product and lots of stuff that seems you know, really relevant to the people who are proud of what they made, but maybe less relevant to the creative team, um, you know, really tough to transform that into something, a really creative campaign. But if you start from something creative, then moving the needle and making it more creative becomes just a little bit easier, right? You've already stepped in the right direction. Even if you don't have everything figured out, it's like you're already moving that needle from a, a place of a better position, if you will. And then equally, because so often the job of the strategist, it's like we're either talking about account planning or we're talking about strategy, right? And for me, those are two different things. Strategy is answering the question of, do we need ads at all? How do we solve this business problem? Right. Um, you know, and then an account planner is like, we have decided to do ads. Here is what the ads should say, communicate, et cetera. In either instance, though, you're trying to make connections between often what a brand wants to do and what consumers want. And you're trying to find that overlapping Venn diagram bit between that brand superpower and a way that they can make a difference in the world. And so you have to consider all of these different things about the consumer and also all these things about the brand and the, the product itself. Like these days, there's a lot of product parity, right? Like does yeah. Dove clean my hair better than Pantene? Like probably not. Like they're probably pretty self-similar at this point. But at the same time, when I think of Dove, I think of the campaign for real beauty and how they support all women. And when I think of Pantene, I think of a gold pill on their packaging and how it's like some sort of protein oils for my hair. Like, you know, Dove didn't use product parity to make a difference. They used an emotional connection, a belief about the world, the way it was and the way it could be to make a difference. But in order to get there, you can imagine that's probably not the first idea that comes up. Like the first idea is still probably wash your hair in a shower with some cream um, and then suds your body up and like look all cute or sexy with your towel drying off. Yeah. The first idea was probably not like the beauty industry really, you know, is incredibly harsh on women, especially when they're growing up. What if we made something that celebrated all body types? Like to get to that sort of level of that emotional connection takes a lot of different sources that you're kind of combining and, and synthesizing into your brain. So I love that. Um, I, I love that strategists are using it. And, and to your point, you know, creative in the advertising industry has a, a capital C, it's a title. But beyond that, we also have creativity as a muscle to be flexed. And the more we flex it, the stronger those muscles grow. And the less we flex it, the more those muscles atrophy and the harder it is to um, kind of deploy them, if you will, when needed. To your earlier point, like when we were talking earlier about the inspiration and the previous need versus the now, it's like, you can run a sprint right now, like down the end of the street, right? You could time yourself and you could sprint from your house till the next block. But it's gonna be a lot easier if you've done the training in advance. It's not saying though, that you have to have run that sprint a thousand times to be good yeah. at running a sprint, right? Like sometimes the training of running a sprint is stretching our muscles. Sometimes it is, um, you know, running longer distances to prepare for shorter distance. Sometimes it's repetition. So we talk about inspiration too. It's like, there are a lot of different ways you could practice being inspired. 
One is like looking around at the world with childlike wonder and just being like, what is cool in this house that I'm in? What's like interesting in this room? Why is it interesting? Um, you know, practicing asking those questions that and interrogate the world around you. I think gratitude is a creative practice that also, you know, puts us in a calming headspace. What are you thankful for? That might also give you some insight into, you know, what other people might be thankful for. So it doesn't necessarily have to always be, or, you know, being curious, curious around different elements. Maybe it's like learning to ask better questions when your friend is telling you about a passion project that you didn't think you were interested in. Right. Like how many times do we have yeah. that friend who's like, let me show you like all my vacation pictures from Iceland. And you're like, well, Iceland's pretty cool, but I, I already saw the 12 that you posted on Instagram. Not sure if I need a whole like slideshow. What if you reframed that in your mind and got some really interesting questions about photos or the trip itself? Like, I think the art of asking questions is a great way to build your inspiration practices. And it doesn't mean that we can't do it in a short term or short period of time, right? Like I, I, we've been briefed on really quick turnaround projects where sometimes we don't have a lot of understanding of that industry and we're forced to collect inspiration really quickly. Or some, I would say maybe it's collect information and then what yeah. remains with us is the inspiration, right? We're gonna read just a shitload about any possible thing relating to this industry or these consumers or the people using this or the geography in which we're selling it. And then what remains, okay, tomorrow, let's sleep on it. And then what remains, let's just each write down 10 things of what we remember and see where that goes. I love that so much. Uh, I'm always, uh, I have this very long thread on Twitter, which is just musings about the nature of inspiration as we've been building over the last like year and a half, two years. I think it's like a hundred tweets in and everything, there's always every other day, there's a new thought about you know, the nuance of inspiration and what is the difference between information and inspiration? And mm. more recently, I've been feeling for me personally, it's that inspiration, it's, it's, it's almost like energized information, right? I could read like a newspaper in the morning or the economist, and I feel like me perhaps like intellectually nourished, like a little bit more informed, um, and a little bit more ready to just occur in the world and go ahead with my day, but I don't necessarily feel energized. But when there's a sunset or a mountain view or some beautiful poem that I've read by one of my favorite poets, I don't know, there's just almost this invisible energy source that you're tapping into. And that energy source can keep you up all night working, right? And you're like, you're not caffeinated, you don't need anything. Um, and that can just last for days and days on end. Um, but I've never heard that perspective before that, you know, information, everything's information. And the inspiration is almost like, it, it's sived and it's whatever sort of just sitting there and, and remains. Right. And um, yeah. And that's I what you take, take with you. As a I love using that as a tool with like um, brainstorming sessions. Right. Is sometimes like we brainstorm, we have so many different ideas, but as soon as we start like putting on our evaluative hat, that goes back into left brain <laughs> thinking, not that right yeah. brain expansive. So I try to like separate those out. I don't want to evaluate ideas at the same time that we're coming up with ideas. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll just have a brainstorm and then the next day, whether it's, you know, if it's in person, we'll put big pieces of paper over all of the notes from yesterday. If it's digitally, it's a lot easier. Just wipe that board clean and say like, okay, before we start today's session, what are the ideas that people remember from yesterday? Like, because that often is a really good um, trick. Ultimately, we are trying to, um, we're trying to 
draw attention, right? Like advertising comes from the word advertary to draw towards. So we're, we're trying to draw attention towards these things. So what holds our attention after we've had that incubation period? What holds our interest after we've slept on it, after we haven't been thinking about, you know, all of these things in such depth? Mm. Lovely. Yeah. And I feel uh, there's not enough of that in the world. I feel like uh, as we're growing up, we're almost school society. It's almost like a forcing function to make decisions quickly, right? Like we're making subject decisions when we're 14, 15, 16, university decisions. And it's madness. It's like, I mean, I have still no idea who I am right now. And you're supposed to have- Or what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, exactly. Or like where you're going to be in a month. And yet you're supposed to have to have it all figured out. Um, And uh, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And actually you can, and whether you call it, you know, your uh, uh, calling, karma, destiny, interest, whatever it may be, but just trust almost that residue that remains with you. Right. That, that creative residue, like as you just move through a day and you like play 10 games, read loads of different types of books, go to different countries, like whatever sticks with you is the stuff that you should probably like thinking more yeah, about and, and leaning think, more into. And absolutely. Like there's a Dallas Clayton quote that I love. And um, I try and stay away from giving people advice because I think all too often there's <laughs> this narrative fallacy of like, you know, if I like go bald and wear a black turtleneck and tinker around on computers in my garage and then wear ill-fitting jeans on a stage, I could be the next Steve Jobs. And it's like, right. well, no. Equally, <laughs> if you dye your hair pink and get all the jobs that I had and decide to set on the road, like just because we do the exact same things doesn't mean we're going to have the same output. So I think advice, right. it's like, yeah, what worked for me may not work for you. Um, but I do think like the best piece of advice that I've ever seen anywhere is from this children's book artist, Dallas Clayton. And he says, make a list of things you love, make a list of things you do every day, compare and adjust accordingly. So oh, that wow. looks different for each of us, right? And if we put together a five-year plan, I mean, would your 10-year plan 10 years ago include you moving to India and having a startup? Like I could <laughs> never have imagined that I would be living this nomadic life. I probably 10 years ago, I don't know if I even knew the phrase nomad really that well. Right. Like maybe I could define it, but I wouldn't have like used it in any sort of sense. So there's sometimes this danger of this long-term planning. And don't get me wrong, I am a fan of goals and intentions and setting plans. However, I'm also a fan and a big believer in, you know, that kindness and compassion to yourself and acknowledging that what we wanted five years ago may not be what we want now. And what we wanted 10 years ago may not be what we want now. So instead of like crafting these long-term plans and feeling like we have to stick to it, it's this constant investigation. It's like applying the same curiosity to work and to life as you do to your own life and being willing to say like, oh, what worked for me yesterday doesn't actually work for me today. But you know what? What I tried two weeks ago that didn't work then, maybe I'll give it a go, another go because I'm a different person today than I was two weeks ago or two years ago or however long ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, the word is just inquiry, right? Like it's, I, uh, I feel my most precious uh, relationships with friends, um, they're each just unique inquiries into something, someone or nothing at all. Right. Um, and not necessarily really heavy either. It's not as if you need to like, uh, you know, ruminate on moral political philosophy every single day. That that's not the point at all. It's more just like, um, 
yeah, as you said, just just making it through the day, understanding who you are, understanding like what works, what doesn't, what you really love. Um, and I love that framework you shared, actually. I'm going to do that as an exercise and let you know how it goes. I think that's that's just just like breathtakingly simple and genius. Right. right? And, and, and so insightful, like just so, so insightful. So insightful. And it doesn't matter who you are, or what those things are for you. It's just like, how do I, you know, your days become your life, right? So it's like, if you do something every day repeatedly that you don't like, you're kind of setting yourself up for this life of disappointment versus if you try and build in things that you love every day, you're much more likely to reap those benefits. Um, our workshop at the end of the month, our first in-person workshop since COVID had not entered our vocabulary is on the power of play. And I am so incredibly excited because after a year of just like routine work and being in front of computers all day, I think our muscles to play have really atrophied. And like creativity, it's something that it's not really beneficial if we just do it two weeks a year when we're on vacation with our family. It's like something where we need to figure out how we can play 15 minutes a day and play looks different for different people, right? It could be knitting with friends. It could be playing an instrument. It could be playing a board game. But like what all researchers agree is that at its core, it's self-directed and self-motivated, something that's optional. Like it's not something that we have to do. It's something that we do just because we can. And the benefits don't come from the activity. The benefits come from just the act itself. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what that is. And by the way, you know, some of the things we were talking earlier about with optimism, it's like play like increases our longevity. It really helps us reduce stress. Um, it helps us with collaboration because often we're requiring, you know, we're, we're getting different perspectives and different viewpoints, but sometimes we have to put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation in a game where we don't know the rules or where we're not immediately good at something. And all of those skills of resilience that come from play can then be deployed in our working world, if we have them, right? But if we don't have them, then we can easily get bogged down in really stressful situations. So I think like there's something too about, you know, this, this joyful attitude and kind of choosing to incorporate play into our lives that probably would lead to more inspiration, right? Because right. we're putting ourselves in a different, a different context. And so inspiration maybe is even the byproduct of play. Oh, that's such a lovely, uh, lovely thought that just, I think, captures the essence of what you just said. So um, this is awesome. And in the last like five, 10 minutes or so, um, I wanted to try something just a little wild, a little fun. Um, <laughs> based on the themes, honestly, that you've just discussed, right? You talked about like the power of asking good questions. Um, you talked about uh, something that's very close to your heart and that is being nomadic, right? So just before we chatted, I went and inspo, our search engine for inspiration. I just typed in the word like nomad, just to see like what it would throw out at me. Um, and there were some really lovely, like really just, uh, yeah, thought provoking, you know, um, questions and perspectives Let's that were coming out of them. So I'm just gonna load up the screen um, because I, I normally save a couple uh, separately, but there were so many that I, and I couldn't decide at the time. So I've just got um, my inspiration <laughs> board in front of me. Um, so 
this one I thought was like just lovely and got me thinking, right? So this was a, a question generated by GPT-3 um, and a bunch of creative associations from the Haiku Jam game ar around the word Noban. So whatever people were writing, um, the algorithm analyzed like different word associations and just kind of threaded together a few questions and thoughts. So the question is this, what does looking mean for a nomad? Ooh, I love <laughs> that. It's so interesting. You know, my immediate thought is like the way in which we perceive the world is constantly shifting the next vision that we have, right? So when we yeah. look like what we see it's not just based on like the cones in our eyes. It's like every single, what we see is connected to every single other thing. Like how we tell stories or how we interpret the world is kind of to do with everything that we've seen before. So I would say to a nomad, like looking probably is all about seeing connections because there are so many more connections to draw than you think. Like the world is just not that different, right? Like right. we go to places and it's like, whether we're in Mumbai or Valparaiso or Buenos Aires or here in Porto, Portugal, it's like, I see street art. Like my eyes just like love street art. I love finding the art outside the galleries. I love the galleries too, don't get me wrong. The art outside the galleries. And so whenever I see street art though, I'm constantly making those connections in my mind of like, oh, like does this city have a really healthy street art scene compared to another city or does this street artist remind me of someone else? Does this social commentary that is existing through this street art, is this unique to Porto or is this translation something that applies around the world and that's relevant to me? So I guess to me looking is like the um, invisible connections coming to life. Oh, that's gorgeous. I absolutely love that. Um... I don't have anything to add to that. I think that that's just wonderful. Um, so maybe just just one more given the time. So this was uh, this genuinely blew me away a little bit. Um, it was just uh, it wasn't a question, actually. It was just an, an AI idea. Again, GPT-3 generated just using interesting creative associations from stuff that people are writing about in, in, in poems. Um, and before I share it with you, I'll just give you just a little bit of context. I feel like yeah. Um, something I've been really inspired, uh, by, um, about the internet and just social media is just the, the lack of borders, right? Like you could be sitting in India and you could be having a beautiful conversation about poetry with, um, you know, a musician in Pakistan. And, uh, you may not be able to go there for whatever political reasons and whatever restrictions, but you can easily uh, be, t be together in a space and, and connect. So, um, the idea was this. A nomad is a person with no defined territory and therefore no need to defend it. Ooh, right? I love that, but I need to reflect on that a little bit because so interestingly, Ferris and I were having a conversation about pride and pride, like it specifically came up because one of my best friends, Rachel fucking Hogan, she is a freelance creative director, freelancefems.com. She's fucking awesome. And she has this 
nephew who has been in the CrossFit world games. He's like maybe, I don't know, 14 years old, something like that. And he's like number eight in the world for this CrossFit thing. And I was telling Ferris how I feel so proud of Caden. And he was like, why? Why do you feel proud of Caden? Like, you don't even know Caden. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I feel proud of him in part because um, I know Rachel and I know Caden's really important to Rachel and I've met him before and I feel like he's this cute kid. And, you know, we kept diving into it because Ferris was like, I don't think that's why you're proud of him. And so finally, like we kind of came down to like, okay, maybe there's like some pride in doing something tough. Um, Like I'm proud of someone else for doing something hard. It's like this recognition of you doing a hard thing. But we came up kind of discussing this concept of geographical pride because a lot of people have what we call in America, hometown pride, or just, you know, (laughs) we've got that whole song, I'm proud to be an American. You know, all these sorts of things kind of come up. And why are you proud of where you come from? You didn't choose to come from there, right? Like that wasn't, it wasn't like Caden who has tried really, really hard to train to flip tires and climb ropes and walk across a gym on his hands. He is, you know, just, he's doing a lot of physical effort and seeing that payoff. But so often we have this pride associated with something that maybe isn't related to us at all. So I love this idea of like nowhere to defend, but I might actually shift it and be like, maybe we're defenders of the world. Because I feel like, look, like, you know, we were speaking earlier again before the recording started about my love of India and how um, it's just truly one of my favorite places in the world. And I will hear people be like, India, what do you like about India? So dirty. It's so crowded. It's so loud. And I'm like, that's all you see. You are missing a whole lot more layers to that. However, like same thing happens when someone's like Nashville, you're from Tennessee. Like, the South, isn't that a big red Trump state of racist? And I'm like, well, wait, wait, wait a second. And I feel the need to defend Tennessee or people say like, oh, New York, I could never live there. And I'm like, oh, it's the greatest city in the world. What do you mean yeah. you can't live there? <laughs> so maybe there's like something embedded within about like, you know, we're not citizens of nowhere, we're citizens of everywhere. And so maybe instead of it being, there's no place to defend, we are defenders of so many cultures because we see the value in all of them rather than only one existing. I don't know. No, I think you do know. That was wonderful. (laughs) That was awesome. Uh, And I'd use the word world and connection perhaps just synonymously there, right? Defenders of connection. Because I I love like just linking this back to what you said earlier that, you know, looking for nomads is just, is just yeah looking to see connections in uh everyone and everything and between all things as well um and uh when you're just wandering through the world you're almost like gathering you know uh you you just you're just synthesizing i think I, I guess you're just noticing all the how like how much we all have in common as opposed to like wow this is so these places that of course they are uniquely different um, but there is this underlying just thread of humanity and existence, and that's uh, that's worthy of defending. We have way more in common than we have in differences, and that has been true whether we have been in the remote plains of Africa or in the bustling cities in Asia or in close to our hometowns in, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. Like, 
I, I truly, truly believe that with all my heart there. That's something that Ferris says, sometimes we have to learn something once and sometimes we have to learn something repeatedly, right? Like sometimes we hear something once and it just like sticks with this and we're like, yeah. okay, great. Got it. And then other times we have to like learn these things repeatedly. And I think that's something that, um, that wasn't something that I needed to learn repeatedly, but it's something that I often find myself reflecting on because it just comes up so much. That's, that's so lovely. Um, Rosie, this has been so inspiring. And, and just before we go, um, found that you've already given some amazing people shout outs throughout this episode, and we'll, we'll link everything in, in the notes afterwards. Um, but I find that, you know, oftentimes, uh, in life, people leave, leave us inspired, right? And, and we never really let them know, like they've changed our entire perspectives or the trajectory of our lives. And we sort of just keep it to ourselves. Um, so I find it's always just lovely, just creating, carving out pockets of time and opportunities just to give, give a li that little bit of like recognition. So if there's anyone as a final note and request, if there's anyone who's inspired you recently, maybe in Portugal, maybe yeah, whoever, uh, oh if you'd like gosh. to leave them a quick shout out. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be the end of the episode where I just now list like so many people that you have to like cue the music. We're going like, to need another hour. Shows, yeah. <laughs> where someone's like taking too long to talk. And you're like, okay, you're done with your thank you speech now. Um, the truth is there are so many, so I'm many sure. people, but I would have to say number one, look, is my husband Ferris. Like yeah. he is this crazy, wonderful intellect who is interested in everything. His superpower is synthesizing and remembering and all this sort of stuff. Whereas I rant and ramble. It's like everything I steal, I've stolen from him or a source that he's like told me about. I feel like he is constantly inspiring me. I mean, we have gotten into a thing now where every night we have been playing music together. We've been making up songs. So like we're total goofballs and like live our best lives as fringe dwelling freedom seekers. So shout out to Ferris. You're my number one, babe. Love you. Uh, also a huge shout out to Rachel fucking Hogan. I mean, this is a woman who has inspired me since we were in college. We were actually Starbucks baristas together back in the day. And I've seen no her way. take on <laughs> amazing work for like for Denny's and Wendy's, for Vanity Fair, um, the bra and underwear brand, not the magazine. And she's just like always got something bubbling at the surface. So I'm so excited for her to take on this freelance life. I have been preaching the joys of owning your own schedule for years and years. Um, so I'm so excited for her to see what she does. You know, I really am a big fan of um, this guy, Jared Grant. He's at Latruke, an agency in New York, but formerly was at Google. Um, and then before that actually worked with me at Saatchi and Saatchi. So when I was at Saatchi and Saatchi, there was like a dream team. We had Mark Pollard, we had Christina Pansolini, we had Jared Grant, we had Becky Wang, and all of those people are like really into cool parts of their career doing crazy, wonderful shit. So I think absolutely shout out to them. I'm obsessed with this artist Pose, P-O-S-E. He's like this amazing bright colors, pop art, graffiti sort of world. And then Ai Weiwei. We just went and saw some uh, of his work in um, Portugal and Porto. We'll go see another exhibit in Lisbon. Have gotten to see his work around the world. Huge fan. Um, I think that he has really found an interesting way to provide like cultural commentary through art. I know that's like what art is supposed to be anyway, <laughs> but I feel like he especially... Yeah. has done this like really great job of um, 
you see a piece and you're forced to think. I'll give a shout out to my friend, Madison Everhart. She is a teacher and she, the way her brain works and just like how kind and considerate she is to different people. That's something that I think, you know, we steal a little bit from all of our friends and she's kind of on that, like, you know, dream team of just people who are constantly having me think in, in different ways. And then last but not least, I would say my family. I'm just one of those people. I'm super close to my family. My sisters and I are constantly texting. Um, my parents are, you know, both into technology. My dad works in the music industry. So it's fun getting to like share um, bits and pieces of the pop culture world. And then my mom, she is just the kindest hearted person who's just so incredibly thoughtful and considerate. And that inspires me on a daily basis. You were not kidding. A lot of people. And you. And like, I really cut it down. Like in my head, I, I know, was like, and oh I, my yeah. gosh, like I'm thinking of so many more people that. I love it because normally people have to think to figure out like who's the one and almost like top of your head, like here's 10 and I have a hundred more, but one, one are, last one, one yeah, last go one for that it. I was thinking of <laughs> because I'm like, oh man, now I'm like giving artist shouts. And it's like my all-time favorite artist though, of like all time forever and ever is Grayson Perry. And he's like this transvestite potter and he makes like, well, he like does pots and vases and lamps. He's actually done like some fabrics and stuff. And so like, he is just phenomenal. I'm obsessed with him and he's won the Turner prize before. So he's like someone to definitely go look into. And then this isn't an individual, but I feel like this could be a good sort of thing to end on, which is like, I will tell the story of one time when Ferris and I were um, working with a big, fancy, important client. And we got to work with like the president and, uh, and his direct reports. And afterwards there was this fancy dinner with the speakers and sort of VIP guests that we got to attend. And um, one of the women there worked at Google and she had this thing where she wanted us to like go around and talk about what our life's work was. And we were like, well, clearly, you know, you have something in mind like to share since you have this question, like, well, give us a chance to think about it and you tell us what your life's work is. And she told us and to be honest, it's nothing that I remember. Like it didn't stick in my head at all. It was like in one year out the other, but I'll tell you, it was a project relating to work and Ferris kind of just hid his mouth and did a little giggle and poking me under the table. And I'm like, just trying to keep a straight face. And the woman kind of catches him doing a little snicker. And she's like, what? And he was like, look, you know, nothing I ever do for work is going to be my life's work. My wow. life is going to be my life's work. That is going to be my life's work. So I think, you know, as we talk about, you know, inspiration and creativity, the way in which we want to live, how we are, what we eat, you know, one thing that I would love to leave with everyone is make your life your life's work because it doesn't really matter what you do. You're going to change jobs multiple times in your life, probably. Like that's what the research says you know, you're always going to be stuck working on someone else's vision whenever you do anything relating to work. Even when you work for yourself, you have people who are yeah. paying the bills, right? So instead of putting all of your effort into something for work and for making money, instead put that effort towards yourself and crafting this life that you want to live, you know, using that Dallas Clayton advice to think about what you do every day and how you could inject more of what you want to do into it. All the work that you want to invest in money making is not 
unimportant. Money makes the world go round, but it is just one piece of who you are as your whole self. I couldn't have asked for a more beautiful end to this. That's such, uh, yeah, just a powerful thought to leave everyone with. And honestly, I'm, I'm feeling really inspired just chatting with you. So thank you for doing this, Rosie. This was such a pleasure. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time and I loved getting to chat with you today. Thanks so much for listening. We're still new to podcasting and would be grateful for any feedback. So do drop us a line. Now, just before signing off, I'm super excited to share that after a year of private beta, we have officially launched Inspo, the search engine for inspiration. So if you'd like to enrich your creative thinking on any topic and elevate the start of your creative process, head over to getinspo.co on desktop web and have a play. See you next week and think inspired.